They say love is patient, they say love is kind Marriage on the other hand takes those things plus wine Spousing is a journey, not for the faint of heart Being married to a human is a science and an art Well, hello there. Hi, Lauren. Hey, Katie. How's it going? Oh, it's just great. Just great. Things are going well. Yep. Yeah. I got, you know, all this uh, work things and it's just nice to at the end of the day know that you're like going to sit down and think about your relationship and the big up there sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have heard that your wife is going to get you a drink right now. Is that correct? She sure did. Do you want to know what I'm drinking? Yeah. I want to know what you're drinking. Um, there was a beer sale at the grocery store. That's so, the best kind. You Virginians with your beer in the grocery store. Huh, I, you get me. I am. It is. I am really just it's trying to It's a privilege, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm currently drinking a Tangerine Hop Nosh IPA from Uinta. Uinta Brewing? Hmm. I, I am Inta. I am yeah, Inta Brewing. I am Inta Brewing. It's true. <laughs> uh, good. It's well, sounds good. Renewable power and wind and solar. Ah, so it's good for the environment. Yes. I'm so it's proud of you. It's better for me to drink. And it's brewed in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is not where you would think, you know, hmm. just because of the Mormon population. Yeah, yeah. You assume it's a big brewery scene. Well, we shouldn't assume things about Mormons. Or anybody, right. really. We really. We really shouldn't make assumptions. I am drinking the cheapest bottle of red Zinfandel in my liquor store. So, <laughs> cannot tell you what it's called. Um, it, as as my husband would say, it tastes like wine. So, so you know what? That is, that you're doing it. That yeah. is. Living the dream. Uh-huh. I also agree that after a day of work, it's nice to come home and have a glass of wine or a beer and just know that we can talk about, like, the things that matter to us instead of, you know, paperwork and crap. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of stuff. Um, things have been going good for you other than work, though? Yes, they have. Um, should we go into you win some, you lose some? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Okay. Why don't you start? Okay, so... Um, Definitely this week we were thinking about, well, we were talking about our relationship with a, like a new couple and we were thinking about how our, I guess, fighting style has changed over the past four years and whatever change. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been interesting to think about how the, f- the point of arguing has evolved and I know the Gottman Institute always says isn't it the Gottman Institute that says the point of conflict is understanding I don't know I don't know it might be somebody somebody really smart says that and we have learned that um or just noticed lately in every one of our disagreements we're having very productive arguments yeah god I love a good argument where you like come out on the other side with something I was just talking about that with someone really yeah it's it's such an interesting skill and it, it makes I don't know. It makes the an entire like I don't know. I think there's so much of a relationship, especially when you're living together, that you you just want you want things to be at peace. And one way right. to accomplish that is through avoiding conflict, uh-huh. avoiding arguments. 
but really what that does is just make your arguments like way bigger when they do happen they do inevitably you know come out they're always much more heightened like higher stakes than they needed to be right the pain doesn't go away it just grows exactly (laughs) and waits until it cannot stay inside anymore right so I know, like, okay, Sunday or Saturday we were spending the day with friends, and Sunday morning we woke up, the birds are singing, it's like a beautiful day, the sunlight is streaming in the window. Oh, recipe I, for disaster. I, 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 <laughs> I roll over to my beautiful wife, and I was like, good morning, baby. And she, like, right away, she wanted to tell me something. She had, like, a... Um, uh, she was uncomfortable with the way I had been talking about some, a particular issue the day before. And in her mind, she didn't want to talk about it before we went to sleep. And she wanted, as soon as she woke up, it was the first thing she was thinking about. So she shared it with me right then. And it just really, like, I was like, oh, shit. You know, like, <laughs> and it was yeah. a totally reasonable, it was a totally reasonable um, comment. She wanted me to make, like, be more, um, be more careful with my words in regards to, to our relationship and like our relationships with our families in public company. So she felt like I was being um, too casual or like talking, teasing and in things that of like about her family that she didn't want us to, um, that she wasn't really super comfortable with sharing. Yeah, she didn't feel in control of like the impression that you were making. Exactly. And it was a very, very reasonable uh, thing to say. And, um, but the problem was the timing. And so we were able to, <laughs> I just kind of reacted like, uh, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, no, that's good. Like, that's fine. But it, you, she could tell it just kind of threw me off because then all day, like the first thing I'm thinking when I wake up is like, oh, I'm a bad wife. Like I, I did a yeah. bad wife thing, you know? And so yeah. she she was cute on the way to church that morning. She was like, babe, I'm sorry. I did that wrong. And I was like, no, no, I really did understand, understand what you mean. And, and you're right. And I, and I want to respect that boundary with you, but I, you know, it, it's okay. And she's like, no, but really I shouldn't have like sprung it on you like that. Actually here in the car on the way to church, we definitely could have had that discussion rather than me saying it to like you the first thing in the morning. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, I honestly, even it's a loss, but it was really a win because I think in general, our patterns have been productive arguing lately. You know, I was thinking about this, um, that when it comes to me and you, I think that we, we, you and me, we endeavor to not be black and white people, although sometimes we are. Um, Mm -hmm. so I feel like it's, it's going to be, um, not wins or losses, but like our win losses, like our, our, our tough things and the perspectives that we've gathered on them over the past several days. Um, I, when it comes to fighting, it is such like a, an alchemy of timing and tone and content and words and intention and receptiveness and uh, context in order to be able to have a productive fight. Like there's, I think that when you're doing, when you're having a good fight, you should come out on the other, other side of it feeling more connected. Yeah. The point of, the point of a fight is understanding. Exactly. I love that. I don't know who said that, but that was very, very wise because when you are understanding one another and when you're giving each other like generous assumptions, um, and working towards a common goal together, Mark said recently that like, there's no, Either we both win or we both lose in a fight. Yes. And um, yes. I thought it was so wise of him. I was like, where did that come from, you genius? Yeah, um, but yeah, isn't that so? It sounds like the way that you guys were approaching that. You were, you were, how is that different from your previous fighting style? Um, I think it's been a, uh, a uh, what's the word? 
an evolving I, I know that I remember thinking to myself I am ready for marriage because I knew that I no longer wanted to be right like our I mean obviously we want to be right but like in general when we would have fights when I got to the point where I was like no I don't want to be right I just want this issue to be resolved when that became my goal I felt like okay now I'm ready to like really think about marriage because that seemed like a very good perceptual shift and in the beginning I mean the very beginning you don't have fights and then as we evolved (laughs) I felt like I was like, no, but I need to be right. And then when things evolved past that, I was like, okay, great. Now we're in marriage. And then there was a period of our marriage where the fights, I think, and life circumstances and the very limited time that we had together, um, I we did a lot of, like, avoiding things, like avoiding yeah. fights. Um, and so now being able to tackle those things and without having them, like, ruin our day, I think that's been a shift that we've been, I think, lately dealing with in this particular season yeah you know I we've this has been a theme of like the last few episodes but um when you have trust meaning like I know that I am forgiven I know that I am okay I know you're not going anywhere when you have profound trust in a, in a relationship that's when you can have a constructive fight I think like when you need to prove that you're right yeah you're there's something about there's something under under that that's not I don't I don't trust that you're right for me so I need to make sure that you're on my side so that I can see that you're right for me versus once you've started to kind of once you really know each other as a couple you know Caitlin's right for you whether she disagrees with you or not like you know that so yeah that was that was a good one that's what they pay me that's what they pay me the small bucks for (laughs) small bucks Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was a win loss that was a that was a a loss that ultimately you ended up perceiving as a win because here you are in growth mindset yes in growth mindset we have no losses (laughs) (laughs) we just have opportunities for growth (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly um, well, I have something that I'm not really sure. I'm, like, kind of in the middle of it, and I'm curious about your perspective of it. Okay. I don't know if it's a win or a loss. Again, I don't know. So, I, a little bit of backstory on this. I love dogs. You and I both love dogs. Yes. Um, I've always had small dogs, like Jack Russell Terriers, and Millie is very small. She's under 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with big dogs. I really don't. I respect big dogs, whatever. A couple years ago, Mark and I were training for a half marathon together, and when it was this beautiful program, and we were out in the kind of countryside, and on one of my runs, a dog came up and was it didn't bite me but it was a two it was one dog was leading it and then two dogs behind it like a lab and then two other kind of medium-sized dogs and he was right on my tail and he was barking and he chased me um and I like didn't know what to do and I stood still and it was really honestly a terrifying I thought I was I thought I was gonna die like we were in the middle of nowhere I had nobody around me um I thought I was gonna die very scary experience and since yeah. then I have yeah right like and I've incredibly that's, traumatic right um nothing happened like but I it wasn't until somebody else came up to me and kind of shooed the dog away that I that I got away from the dog um and I would avoid we like our group would go and run in that place several times before my race and I avoided that place mm-hmm. and ever since then like I've been what I describe as ambushed by dogs not attacked but like a big dog has run up to me off of a leash mm-hmm. and has like barked at me aggressively or jumped up on me or something like that that's happened to me maybe three times since 
because of this, I don't jog outside as much anymore. I live in a neighborhood where people let their dogs off leashes all the time, and that's really a frustrating thing to me. So anyway, that's the background to this. Flash forward to a few months ago, a new neighbor moves into our apartment or into our house. We have, we live in an old house that's been converted into three different apartments. And I know that they have a big dog because the dog's bark is really loud, and also they don't pick the dog shit up off the ground, and I've seen that dog shit, and it's not my dog's dog shit, let's just say. <laughs> so, and that's an annoying thing to me too, but like, it is what it is. They evidently have an excuse for that, but that's fine. I was out walking the dog on Sunday night, and it was dark, and it was late, and I had my dog on a leash, and all of a sudden, this huge black dog comes sprinting up to me off of a leash. And I turn around and the neighbor downstairs has just opened the door and let the dog out into the backyard and then closed the door again. Yikes. Yeah. And it was really scary. The dog it was just white eyes and white teeth. And um, I screamed and I closed my eyes and I immediately picked up Millie because the other part of this is that Millie is not great with other dogs and she she can be, but you have to introduce them. You know this you, right. because of <laughs> Millie and your dog. Um, yeah, are but you have to introduce them and they love each other, but you have to introduce them in a, in a controlled setting and in a controlled environment. Otherwise, she can get a little aggressive. I don't know what that's about. She's 10 pounds. Like she needs to knock yeah. it off. But mm-hmm. if she doesn't know and and oftentimes dogs will respond to the aggression of another dog. So I immediately pick Millie up and I'm just kind of like, if a fetal, if you could stand in the fetal position, that's what I was in, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. hugging Millie to me. And I screamed and the dog, to the dog's credit, was like scared of me and turned around and ran away. And then I yeah. was kind of waving my hands around and I was like, excuse me, excuse me. And the girl, the neighbor came out and I kind of yelled at her. I was like, I, I basically said, like, you cannot just let your dog out here off of a leash. Like, that was really scary. A lot of people live here. You have to have your dog on a leash. And she just kind of says, okay, and then, like, shuts the door in my face. The dog goes back in. Then, like, one second later, I'm still sitting there. Like, I'm shaking. Yeah. Um, I'm still standing there. The boyfriend comes out to, like, take the recycling out or something. And I said to him... And I had met him when he first moved in and we didn't really talk, but I had said, you know, oh, welcome. Like, I'm glad you're moving in. I hope you like the place. That's basically it. That was three months ago. Mm-hmm. I say to him, hey, man, I'm so sorry for screaming at your girlfriend. I've been ambushed by dogs before and that was really scary for me. I just really wasn't expecting that. If you could please have your dog on the leash, that would be really like helpful to me. And he says, oh, I guarantee you my dog isn't going to attack you. And I said, I'm sure that that's the case. But that was really scary for me. Right. And that's it. And he just walked. He didn't make contact. Eye contact with me. He didn't stop and talk to me. He just kept walking and walked to the recycling and put his stuff away. And then under his breath, he said something really, like, nasty about, like, Millie being a, a little rat. Which, like, you know what? Mm. Millie's no. feelings Millie's feelings aren't hurt. My feelings aren't hurt. Millie kind of is a little rat. Like, yeah. that really doesn't bother me. Yeah, but, but what still, bothered it's me, rude. It's the rudeness of the, the neighbor, right? Like, that's supposed to be my neighbor, and I want things to be neighborly. So... I was so, and then I, I kind of yelled. I was like, hey, like, we need all, like, we all live here together. Like, let's be kind to each other. And then he didn't say anything to me, and he just kept walking away from me. And so then I started to cry. And so I come upstairs because I'm upset because all of this is, like, not a healthy situation. I'm feeling like this is not good. The dog was fine. It's not about the dog at this point. It's about right. the neighbor's 
Just the interaction. Yeah, the interaction was scary to me and, like, upsetting. And I immediately, like, catastrophized and flash forward to them, like, slashing my tires or whatever. So I go upstairs and I am crying and shaking. And Mark was actually there when I was ambushed by that dog a few years ago. Right. And he was actually the one that shooed the dogs away, my hero. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a whole other story, which is why I didn't initially say that. But he, like, so he knows that I'm afraid of this. And he listened to me as I told the whole story. And God bless him, he was the calmest, like, completely validating of my fear and totally calm and not angry at all. And, like, this is one of the things that he does the best is that when people wrong me, um, sometimes he, like, will minimize it because he thinks that I'm being dramatic. But, like, he's never the type to be, like, I'm going to beat that person up. Like, he's very, like, that was wrong and I love you and I support you and I'm going to go address it, but I'm not going to hurt anybody. And I, like, really... I'm turned off by, like, macho responses like that, so I'm glad that he's not like that. But anyway, so he, like, got the garbage and was like, okay, I'll take the trash out and I'll try to go talk to the guy. So I come in the bedroom and I'm, like, kind of shaken up and I'm just, and I'm crying, you know, just out of, like, um, adrenaline, not because this was, like, really devastating. And he goes down and he comes back up and he says to me that it's all smoothed over and that he talked with the guy and he explained to the guy the situation. He introduced himself and he explained the situation and the guy said, um, well, that dog is completely under my command. And which I call bullshit on because the guy wasn't even outside with the dog when that happened. So how can the dog be outside under his command? And also the dog ran up to me, which is definitely not unless he sicked the dog on me that wasn't under his command. Um, So, but, like, he said what he said. Mark, like, tried to smooth it over. He just said, like, she was just scared. That was really scary for her. And basically that was kind of it. Um, And then he came back upstairs. And I, that's where we left it. I, over the last couple of days, have been waffling about whether or not, Mark and I talked about, like, going down to introduce ourselves and smoothing smooth things over even more. I've been waffling about it because... Initially, I felt embarrassed that I yelled and that I had let them see that reaction. But that was on Sunday night. I was embarrassed. But then on Monday, I was kind of like, no, I that was a normal reaction to really bad behavior on their part. And like, sometimes it's okay for people to see people react to your bad behavior. Um, And then today I talked to my dad and my dad said to go over and smooth it over. And then I talked to another friend of mine and my friend said, no, you've already apologized as much as you can. What do you think that they're going to do? You've given them an opportunity to respond in a positive way and they were just assholes about it. So (laughs) you're only going to make it worse. So I don't know. I'm curious. Like the win is that my husband is really good at dealing with that stuff, but I don't know how to be neighborly. I don't know what we should do as a couple. I'm curious about what you think. I think we should just move. Yeah, well, and you know what? I I was thinking that. <laughs> I was like, we're never going to find a place that's as cheap as this place. <laughs> I know, that's the issue. Yeah. Okay, well, I think in general, we have to consider our locus of control. And we can't, you cannot totally. control them. Nope. And you cannot, you cannot change their behavior. I think if you feel good about, if you feel good about the way that you expressed yourself, because it sounds like you did very clearly, like here's, this is like everybody lives here we all need to like be respectful whatever so that's part of it um so if you feel like you've expressed that then you've done your piece i don't think that means that you can't be neighborly in other ways because sometimes people who have a relationship with that person are more likely to hear them not sometimes all the time 
Yeah. So like, that's there's true. not. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, still be kind to them or try to be neighborly. Send them a Christmas cookie plate or something. But, um, yeah, that's that's definitely a very difficult situation. But you're stuck with your neighbors for the term of their lease lease and you're stuck with your husband forever and he's the one who's like doing right by you so really it that's a definite win i think uh that's a really good point that like what i should take away from that situation that uh, you're helping me have a shift right now because i was really seeing this in terms of i am i was self-conscious that i had yelled because I like to think of my somebody myself as somebody who's cool, calm, and collected in all situations. I'm right. not, and yelling is okay. I in an, in situations I was afraid, and I was it was valid that I was afraid. And yelling in a in a validly scary situation is an appropriate reaction. I did not say anything. I don't remember if I said a swear word, but I definitely didn't swear at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely because I don't think I've I don't think I ever do that, but I I might have said like he needs to be on a fucking leash. Um, yeah. <laughs> but and you know what? Even that. That is like I'm not embarrassed about that. I think all of that is okay. I am taking like that first night I was taking away. That was I'm. It's embarrassing that I was scared, and that it's embarrassing that I made so I made somebody feel embarrassed, and that's embarrassing. And you know what? It's not. If they were embarrassed, it's because of their bad behavior, not because of me. Right. And what I really should be taking away is that, like, Mark really stood up for me in a way that yes. I felt like was brave. And um, it was so funny because also inappropriate. Right. It was really brave and appropriate and kind and um, neighborly and valiant. You know, and it was really yeah, funny absolutely. because earlier in the day, my lamp had been broken. Uh, my lamp was something about my lamp, like the wiring was off. And mm-hmm. um, I would have just bought new lamps. Uh, because it's one of a set, so I would have had to buy right. two lamps. Um, yeah. Mark spent the whole day, he went to the hardware store three times to get parts for this lamp oh to fix it. God. And so when he came back in after defending my honor, I was like, is testosterone just like coursing through your veins right now? Are you feeling so masculine? <laughs> um, and he did. He, he said that he did. So... <laughs> He said he felt very strong and very brave. Well, I was just listening to an episode of uh, My Favorite Murder where Karen and Georgia were talking because their whole thing is like toxic masculinity ruins the party again. And um, they were talking about like they got a comment on that from someone and she was like, you know, we're not talking about masculinity in general. Like (laughs) that's not what ruins the party. We're talking about toxic. (laughs) In this case, they were specifically talking about John John Wayne Gacy's father who is a clear example of toxic masculinity. (laughs) Why do people feel the need to defend toxic masculinity? (laughs) That's a better question. I I don't know, because they're so afraid of losing masculinity in general that they're like, no, all of it's good. (laughs) Yeah, no, you know who toxic masculinity poisons? Truly every single person. Truly everyone. And I would even argue, no, I wouldn't. But, like... A lot, like if it's if it's fifty one percent women, it's forty nine percent men that it poisons as well. It's so true. <laughs> it's and not your good for them. Practices good character and all of these um, good partner dynamics in a way that isn't toxic masculine, and that's huge. Yeah, Ugh, I'm so glad that I'm talking to you about this because that is the takeaway from all of that is that mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I've been, I've been trying really hard to worry about like whose criticism matters to me? Is it my neighbors who are poorly behaved and who are kind of rude? No. Mm -hmm. Is it my husband's? Yeah. 
Yeah, that really matters to me. His criticism matters to me and his support matters to me. And whether or not he likes me matters to me. Doesn't really matter to me if my neighbors don't like me. Right. Right. As long as they're not slashing my tires, which as of this morning, my tires fully intact. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of effort. They don't seem like really like go-getter type people. <laughs> they really don't seem to be the type that would want to go they outside. They don't really want to go get their dog's poop, so. <laughs> yeah, why would they? Plus, I would like pretty much know who it is. So. Yeah, so that's true. There's a, It's a one in three. Yeah, okay. Well, good. I like that mindset shift. Thank you for that. Yeah. Win, unequivocal win. Unequivocal win. Okay, so this week we're going to talk Speaking about wins, well, I don't know, unless you can win a budget. I guess there's really no wins to be had here. Um, But talking about just budgeting and how that works in families, and especially when you are a new family and you're trying to put those financial rules into place. Can we expand this even bigger to just, like, money in a relationship? Yes, absolutely. Because I think that, Is that bigger than budgets? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Budgets are how you manage your money. Money is, like, Okay, wait. Yes. Okay. Because, yes, my first thing that I wanted to share was that, um, actually, okay, hold on. Well, we'll get back into the bigger picture of this um, article in just a moment. But there is something that um, I thought was really interesting, talking about how uh, revealing your finances, when you like you have to do when you are married to someone, is... Um, means losing autonomy and a lot of us see our bank balances as um like our that they're like i'm not a kid anymore i have my own money my parents can't tell me how to spend it oh my god the amount of times i say to mark i'm not a child when it comes to money (laughs) are oh drinking a beer cracking open another beer listeners we invite you to crack open a beer with us yep it's a drinking game millie didn't bark but um she did get called a rat so you guys can take shots if you want (laughs) Oh, yeah. Every time somebody is, like, really insulting to our dogs, you can just chug your drink. I'm just going to throw my drink on that person. Unless you're driving to work, in which case. I would not. In which case, drink your coffee. Mm -hmm. I also would never throw a drink on a person. I wish I was the type of person who would throw a drink on someone, like Real Housewives style. Yeah, sometimes I do, too. The older I get, the more aggressive I wish I was. In which Mm -hmm. case, also a win on Saturday night, because I was very aggressive. Good job. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so... (laughs) (laughs) whatever we'll take it where we can get it exactly um so anyway the become losing your autonomy yes losing autonomy okay well all of this comes from a new york times article that's called navigating the financial side of a relationship um we'll put it in the show notes a um it's a study by jeffrey dew at utah state university what is it with utah today yeah my beer is from utah my studies from utah my friend just told me today that he was going on vacation in utah shoot i just saw that one of the um the not diggers family the bates family they had a a proposal in utah so like wow we're just all over the place synchronicity Uh uh-huh okay so couples who record who reported disagreeing about finance oh this okay this is a a study they did that showed that couples who disagree about finances once a week were 30 percent more likely to get divorced than couples who reported disagreeing about finances a few times a month i this is so bad and this is such a difference between lauren and katie um i have seen studies that 20 percent of marriages that fail they cite money issues as one of the reasons for that Mm -hmm. now of course do i have that study at my fingertips i do not um, but yeah, it no is a huge, and, and Mark and I did a, before we were married, before we were engaged, we did a Dave Ramsey financial health course. I don't, mm-hmm. are you familiar with Dave Ramsey? Yes, I am actually about to cite him. 
Oh, wow. Dave Ramsey. Um, oh, online. I thought about citing him, and then I decided not to. Well, some people have some problems with Dave Ramsey, and I completely think that those are valid because Dave yeah. Ramsey has... Dave Ramsey does not claim to be... Um, anything other than like a conservative christian type of a dude that said right. his budgeting principles are legit and mm-hmm. we took a class we got um at our last job they gave they like piloted a program for their employees to learn how to budget which i thought was rich i was like you can't just give us more money you're gonna teach us how to manage the meager <laughs> money that you give us um, but <laughs> um but we it was he <laughs> Part of the whole reason that he did this is because he sees it as a ministry to keep families together. It's yes. teaching them how to save money, earn money, get out of debt, save for college. Um, oh, and so he sees true. that as a ministry. And one of the things he talks about is how couples have got to get on the same page about money. Uh huh. I agree. That is very, very true. I'm interested. Is this when you were paying for things with cash back in the day? Remember when you... Is this when you were taking that course? Um, I don't remember when that happened. Somebody had given me, well, I have gotten advice on many occasions to give every single dollar a job. And I recognize this is good advice. And this has been advice that's given to me by, um, like, financial planner people, by the people that I know who have the most money and who are the most responsible with money. Um, And giving every single dollar a job literally meant to me at that time get all of my expendable, all of my, like, money that I would spend in cash and put it into envelopes, and when the money's gone, the money's gone. And that, so I don't remember if that was a Dave Ramsey tip or not, but to be honest with you, that budgeting tip never worked for me. The only thing that has, yeah, never, ever. The only thing, because I don't do well with limits. As Gretchen Rubin would say, Mm -hmm. there's abstainers and there's moderators, and I feel like- I am going to cite her. Yeah, uh, well, there's (laughs) abstainers and moderators, and there's, I think, and then there's just splurgers, and I'm a splurger, and I think it's easier for a splurger to become a moderator than for a moderator, than for a splurger to become an abstainer, and I think the cash in the envelopes thing is a very abstainer thing to do. Yeah, I I would have a really hard time with that, too. I also feel like, in, in my very bones, I'm a very frugal person, but I also don't believe in missing out on experiences. I never want to be the person who's like, oh, we're not going to dinner because we don't want to spend money. Like, I mean, obviously want to try to um, make our social lives fit with our financial principles, but I don't, um, and so like, of course that might mean having people over for dinner, making dinner or going, doing something that's free. Um, Some of our friends down here, we've taken up kayaking because it's, well, I mean, we bought a kayak, but once you bought the kayak, it's free. (laughs) Um, And it's a really nice way to spend a day that you don't have to spend money to do. Right. Um, But, there are a lot of things that should be enjoyed in life. And so money, you're right. I think the dollar a job idea is really smart because you um, you want to make your money work for you. And one of the ways that it can work for you is by strengthening your social relationships. So if you were just to hibernate away and never ever go out to drinks or dinner with friends, um, then that money isn't working for you. That's a really good way to think of it is that like when you're doing when you're spending money in certain ways that you're strengthening like you're doing things that you're making your money work for you. Yeah. Um, You know, I one of the things that kind of underscores a lot of this is. um, Well, first of all, I feel I feel an urge to say that you and me are going to be talking about this money conversation and we already are from our our perspectives and like from the perspectives that we bring to finances, which we are 
middle-class white women who were raised by middle-class, you know, white people with my parents had two college degrees between that or like, no, three college, three and a half college degrees between them. And that's necessarily going to open them up to some different financial situations than other people. But that, yeah. And every single person that enters into a marriage brings values and rules and beliefs and fears about money there the baggage that goes along with money there's a reason why money breaks people up is because the baggage that goes along with money is probably the heaviest baggage that people bring into a relationship yeah especially because money can feel like a betrayal to if you are spending your money incorrectly to one person it can feel like a betrayal Absolutely. That is that is a very true fact. And I want to double down on the idea that we are definitely speaking from our own perspectives and that we have a, a boatload of privilege that goes along with that. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important to, to notate. Yeah. Um, so actually your last comment reminded to brings me back to this this New York Times article. And one of the first things that they say is that money is an intimate subject and we are coached from an early age to be secretive about money, which is funny. And it's true. And I never thought about it that way before, but Mm. I remember, okay, I've always been a very frugal person, and when I was younger, when I was like 15, I bought my first, um, I was like babysitting a ton. I was the most popular babysitter in my church, so you know I had, (laughs) which which also meant I had no social life. Like, I didn't go out, like, and do things because I was babysitting. Um, I had a social life, but just not like a cool kid's social life. Yeah, neither did (laughs) I. Um, I wasn't yeah. babysitting, but I was also not a cool kid. Yeah, well, you know what? I think it's me. Uh, now, in our in our almost 30s, we can say that being a cool kid when you're 15 is overrated. Well, um, yeah. It's better to be a happy kid than a cool kid. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was certainly happy. Me too. Um, but I remember buying a dress for my school's dance. It was like prom or ring dance or something. And I got a really good deal on it, and I like used coupons or whatever. I think the dress ended up costing like $15. And I was, like, like quietly proud of that. And I told my mom, and then my mom told my aunt. And I remember feeling really, like, embarrassed and ashamed because I didn't want people to know. Like, the the line between frugal and cheap is such a difficult line to walk. Mm. But I remember my aunt, my aunt, and now I know in adulthood, uh, she's since passed away, but I know that she was an incredibly frugal person, and she was, like, high-fiving me. Like, the reaction I got was so much different than the reaction I was expecting. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's just I have a similar story to that. That I oh. I remember being at the bus stop in like seventh grade, and my shoes were from Payless. And to be honest with you, I still like almost exclusively wear shoes from Payless because I have some big ass feet, and Payless makes big ass shoes. Yeah, Payless so, also has great shoes. They do, and they're really inexpensive. Exactly, and, and they're they're not the best quality, and they're certainly not like I remember in high school that middle school and high school shoes I will I will never forget the brands of shoes that everybody wore the Beaver Creek like Birkenstock knockoff slip-ons the I don't know if you remember those but they were like suede mules they were so I ugly can see them in my head we didn't that wasn't what was cool in Virginia Beach though we had um, oh yeah we were, you were beach kids Vans, mm-hmm. Vans oh see Rocky Vans were not cool yeah mm-hmm. rainbow flip-flops cool. oh rainbow rainbows. flip-flops are super cool but I didn't know about those till college uh, okay, yeah. Rainbows were a big deal in high school. I got some for Christmas. It was a big deal. Uggs, obviously, I was never, Uggs were never going to happen for me. And then when I got to college, even Tory Burches were a big deal. And now I'm like, oh my God. Ugh. But like, yeah. I remember shoes have always been a big deal for me. And I remember somebody complimenting me on my shoes. 
at the bus stop when I was in seventh or eighth grade, and I lied about where I got them from because wow. the line between frugal and cheap, I didn't want to seem cheap. And I knew yeah. I was really aware. My mom doesn't care about brands. She never has. Um, but I was really aware that a lot of people did care. And yeah. so what do you think that that taught me? Like, one of the things I want to bring up is, like, the what we, like, the silent and secret rules that we learn or, like, the unspoken rules that we learn about money. <laughs> like, what can you guess that that taught me about money what, at that time? That, that like li- your, your impulse to lie to that person about where you got your shoes, what did No, that the fact that everybody else was – that everybody else cared about brands but my mm-hmm. parents didn't and then I had that impulse – I learned that, like, that as soon as I had my own money, the only way to fit in was to, like, spend that money and to buy that shit. And what do you think happened to me during my first and second year of college? You had no money. overdrafted my bank account once by over $600. Holy shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, but it's true, though, that that is, like, um, that's very very indicative and I think also very... um, What's that word? Meaning frequent. It happens to a lot of people. Ubiquitous. It's very. It's a very ubiquitous story. Like we all have yeah. these things, these like um, habits that we spend, and money is such a personal. It's a personal thing because, and you and I have talked about this before, and how it relates to our marriages. Yeah. Um, especially because we're both married to people who have siblings, and our views on money, and our siblings' view, our our siblings-in-laws' views on money might be different. Um, so I know we've been in situations, Caitlin and I have, where they are asking us to spend money in a certain uh, way In it just doesn't line up with our priorities. And it's very difficult to have these discussions with our partners and then with our, our greater extended family because we feel we feel like our priorities are being questioned. Because when, when someone asks for money for a, a gift, you know, or they're going to do a group gift type situation. You need, you, nor I have felt like, but wait, I don't even spend that much money on myself or my partner. Yeah. So it's, it seems like way above and beyond for me to do that for this, like to not, I don't know, that's a, a wrong way to say it, but that's just not the way we're using our money. We are currently on a single income living yeah. with my parents. It seems like a big financially ask. we're financially planning, yeah, we're financially planning to buy a home within the next few months. And we've just been really careful about money like since we've been together, but our money backgrounds, mine and my, my partners are quite different. And so it's funny because we've evolved to the same place. But when I met Caitlin, I thought she was a baller because she would go to the grocery store and drop like hundreds of dollars, just walk up to something on the shelf, stick it in the cart and we just go. And I have never, ever spent money like that because that's just not, I don't even know if my parents taught me this. Like, I think this is just, it was just like a weird like, I, I remember even as a kid when I was, like, seven or eight, my my family would be like, if you need money, ask Lauren, because she's the only one who has any, and she's only yeah. seven, and I'd go well, into my piggy bank. And <laughs> one of the things that Mark's like Mark likes to say is that people that have money don't spend money. Ah, interesting. <laughs> that, like, if you spend your money, then you don't have money anymore. Yes. And so that's probably why people, like, that's probably why you were frugal and also why people came up to you and asked you for money, right? Yeah, like my, my siblings. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that my family, well, we definitely had, we weren't, I would not, I would consider us solidly, like, middle class, upper middle class. We're not, like, super wealthy, but um, but there's definitely a difference in the way that I grew up and the way that my partner grew up. Yeah. And that has impacted, and, and it's funny because now, 
we have experienced, we came to this kind of when we started merging our finances, when we started living together and things like that, Caitlin had a, um, a renaissance and she realized that, that actually, I think it really happened when we started saving for the wedding and we had these huge expenses every month. And I was like, oh, we'll just like, we'll make, we'll meet these expenses in this way. And she'd never realized that you could like save money and put it towards a purpose before. Yeah. And now Caitlin is far more frugal than I am. And I get like side eyes when I pick up like <laughs> things at the, like at the ch- checkout line, the little impulse buys, I'll pick out like a pack of socks or something. I'm like, oh, a Target. Just put those on there and I'll get a side eye from that. Yeah. Which is just very interesting. I, one of the things that Mark and I come from families with different, different financial backgrounds as well, but probably not as big of a gap in financial backgrounds as like you and Caitlin. I mean, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought of myself because I, I think because my family was definitely not one of the wealthier families in our neighborhood or at our school and that all of my friends were extremely wealthy like had very fancy cars and like went on fancy vacations and stuff like that I and my parents were divorced and I heard so much talk about money from Mm -hmm. both of my parents that yeah I know and like I got I heard so much about it both of my parents both my parents would tell me constantly that they were poor but also both the other parent would tell me that the other one was secretly very rich so I (laughs) I had no idea what to believe um that's another thing that probably has influenced my the way that I approach money is that I just I I don't know what to think like I've been very confused about money for my whole life um but I will say that like I never thought that I, w- I never thought I had money until I started to hang around people other than the people that I went to high school with. And I realized, like, I grew up horseback riding. I went to yeah. summer camp growing up. Like, right. I did some bougie shit. And we, and it wasn't because we were wealthy, necessarily. Although, comparatively speaking, we were, like, top 1% in the world. But, right. like, it wasn't because we were the wealthiest person in my school. It was because my parents figured out a way to make it work. Right. And, and also generational wealth is a real thing and like I was I'm lucky enough to have like great grandparents who um you know I were doctors back in the you know I have people that were doctors and lawyers and um people who had good jobs back several generations and that's really that's a privilege of mine that I never asked for yeah and I think I had a very like opposite experience because I grew up in a really diverse area and so my friends in high school had all kinds of different financial backgrounds so I felt very wealthy like in high school I knew that like my parents when I was when I turned 16 they were able to buy me a a used car but I mean a car like that's I mean I will definitely buy my children a used car because yeah because they're children I don't (laughs) ever buy myself a new car shit yeah I know (laughs) but anyway I I knew that like I I felt very like um not wealthy but privileged I knew that I had things that my friends and their families didn't have access to. Mm-hmm. And so then when I went to college, I, re- I went to college with a bunch of rich white people. And so I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I look at all these people and I, I just remember, like, break plans and the people who would always be, like, leaving to go on a big ski trip with their families. You or, didn't rush like, a sorority, did you? No. Oh my God! If you want to feel, if you want to feel like you grew up in a third world country, then Russia sorority because those <laughs> girls, and they bring out like that was that was one of the first times that I was like, 
okay, like, that was just a very strange financial situation for me. Yeah. And it didn't last, but the whole thing was expensive. It's so funny how you see how the people that you surround yourself with impact the way that you see yourself. Yeah. And now I still, I definitely believe that, I mean, I, we are certainly in a place of privilege being able to move in. When we are kind of um, financially, we're forced into a, like in our own marriage, we're having some financial um, stresses because my partner is in school and not making an income, but we have a family who we can live with. And like, that is such a huge support that not everybody has that opportunity. Well, that makes me, that brings up like a really, uh, I think, salient point that Mark and I kind of differ with. So Mark, I would say, is better with money than I am, or rather, it is easier for him to not spend than it is for me. Uh Um, He, because he grew up, he was fine. His family was stable. They went, not on fancy vacations, but they had a standard vacation that they did every year, and Mark did sports, but they were they're fine. They're comfortable, but not wealthy. And he has always just thought his belief, his strong belief is that the way to get a life that you want is to get a job that pays you a lot of money and then save that money, which is not incorrect. He is not wrong. But it's really different from my belief, which is that I can do whatever I want and I'll have the life that I want because of I know that I can fall back if I need to. Um, this this came up over the summer um, with me and Mark because I had a really serious medical emergency, and it was the type of thing where we considered calling an ambulance, and there was the there were a couple reasons that we didn't. Um, one of the reasons for that, well, and and at first we went to the urgent care instead of the emergency room. These decisions, not calling the ambulance and going to the urgent care first, and ultimately we ended up needing to go to the emergency room, but those decisions were made out of consideration for money, knowing, for reasons I don't need to get into, but knowing that we should have just gone straight to the emergency room, um, we were making money considerations. And this ended up, I talked, my mom the next day really got on my case about it because she was like, you should have gone to the emergency room immediately. What is the matter with you? Now, there were other reasons why we didn't do that because part of it was that we didn't want to be alarmist if we didn't need to. We were balancing, is it that serious versus like, is it so serious that we need to spend the money on it versus if we spent the money on it, would we feel silly that we just didn't go to the emergency or the urgent care? Um, and then she was saying, like, there's no like you there's no exception to this. You always call an ambulance if something like this happens. And um, now also it would have been faster for us to just drive to the hospital because we live very close to the hospital than it would be to wait for the ambulance. But regardless, the main decision criteria in this situation was finances and you and me had a really big conversation about how I am lucky enough that I should not have to think about finances when it comes to my life. And that is something now Mark was making all of the decisions about this that night because he, I couldn't, I was not in, I wasn't in a physical condition to make these decisions. Mark was making all of these decisions and it was a little bit, he was a little upset because he was trying to do the best that he can. And in Mark's mind, Finances do have to be a consideration there. And now that he's a part of my family, it's just, it was a really stark 
it was really telling in terms of the differences in our approaches to money and what a social safety net means for the two of us. And I was so struck by, especially when I got the bill afterwards and my insurance covered most of it, but I was so struck by both the conversation with my mom and the bill afterwards by like what privilege I have. Mm. Um, And it's been hard for Mark to adjust to that privilege, but by the same token, it's been difficult because my thought is everything will always be fine it's really hard for me to stick to a budget. Really hard. Right. Yeah. Because my belief is that there's will always be fine. Nothing is a big deal when it comes yeah. to money. And that's incorrect. I'm wrong. <laughs> e- yeah, right. And even though even though I consider myself frugal and I I enjoy like thinking about spending, um I also would say that because of my background, I do have like that ingrat. I know that there I'm never going to like completely fall out. Well, I, I don't know that, but like I I have that I operate from that assumption that there's always yeah. going to be somebody to catch me, which yes. is like what we're living right now. Like my we're we're able to send my wife to grad school because I know that I have a family who's willing to take us in. Oh, same because, thing with us and my husband, yeah. Yeah, right. And that's I mean, that is huge and that's not something that I think most people can say. So, if we've checked the like acknowledge our privilege box enough, <laughs> let me just say it again. I want to acknowledge my privilege and and say that even though, you know, well, Even isn't that though, what we want for everybody? That feeling that, like, that's... That, I was just thinking that when you were saying that. That feeling of, I've taken it for granted that I will always be fine and I will always be safe. <laughs> that is not only what privilege is, but that's also, like, that's the point, right? Like, absolutely. that's the whole point of what we do, is our, like, absolutely. what we want in and this I, world is for that people. that is a systemic, like, huge uh, societal issue that I wish we could solve, but we can't. But what we can solve is our yeah. financial woes. And, um, and, and I don't mean that in a way that like, you shouldn't even care about the rest of the people because there's nothing you can do about that. I just mean what's in our scope of control. Yeah. What's in our practice, our, our realm. Um, it's funny. We just, were looking at our credit card statement and, um, thinking about, and Caitlin, and I had never like, not never, I follow my spending pretty, pretty, uh, closely, but I didn't take into account that our um, our our recent move meant that our that our income has decreased by more than half because I also take a pay cut. Um, so then she was like, "Okay, so here's our spending," and I was like, "Oh yeah, that looks like our not normal spending. We usually spend about that much." And she's like, um, "But you know, but <laughs> but here's what's coming in, you know, <laughs> and like how this yeah. has changed." And so it's just interesting to think about and so we've kind of challenged ourselves and been very and been failing pretty hard um about trying to figure out how to make those um those numbers match up better yeah (laughs) make make the number that that of the number of money that's coming in be a little more than what's going out and that's a tough thing to do what would you say is like the number one like what would you say is your number one focus of your financial efforts these days like what are we trying to cut down the most of like where are we trying no to like what are you what are you changes? like if you had to say like your number one financial goal right now what would it be um our number one financial goal is is we have like a number in mind for our spending to get close to that and so that we can save i mean our big dream would be 20% for a house for a down payment but that is like a relic leftover from people who are not student loan holders and so like just saving our for a comfortable down payment we're trying to avoid PMI 
insurance. How? Yeah, no, I got you. How do you guys tend to do when, like, one of the things that Dave Ramsey talks about is that in every relationship, there's there's usually a saver and a spender, and that, like, even if both people are, like, generally spenders or generally savers, like, there's one person that saves more, one person that spends more, and that can be really challenging because in my relationship, at least, people, like... Mark is the saver and I am the spender. And because saving seems to be the morally good thing to be, I tend to feel like I'm in trouble a lot for Mm. wanting to go out to eat, for wanting to go on vacation, for wanting to buy new work clothes, for wanting to get my hair done. I'll never forget the day that Mark learned how much it takes to get girls' haircuts. Um, But, like... I end up feeling like I'm being, I'm getting in trouble for things. Whereas Dave Ramsey talks about like, it's really important in couples to recognize that like being a saver and being a spender are morally neutral. And like, you have to operate from a space of these are just our tendencies and this is how we can move forward. And I'm wondering if that resonates with you at all. That is an incredible, the second part of what you said is an incredibly salient point. However, that is absolutely, I don't really think that in my relationship currently that one of us is a saver and one of us is a spender. I would not have said that at the beginning of our relationship. But right now, I think that, like, we we just are very different in how we save and spend money. Um, so it's just, I don't know. And maybe that's, I, I don't, I'd like to say that because Dave is a, a Christian man and probably thinks about relationships. I wonder if he... If, what's the like? What is the stereotype is that he's like, or not stereotype necessarily that he's thinking of? But is the stereotype generally that women spend more than men? I don't know if it is. I because I was just thinking that too. I don't know if that is the stereotype, but I think that it's possible that whoever balances in my parents' relationship, and I think that this might be a stereotype too. Like my the the male spends more than the female because he's got all the hobbies. You know, I have no idea because I'm I'm thinking about the relationships in my life. I don't know if there's a stereotype there. Yeah, Definitely yeah. in my parents' relationship, my my mom had the expensive hobby because my mom was did horses and my dad like fished. <laughs> um, so like <laughs> that, yeah, and like like raised us. So yeah. Um, that yeah, but I in our relationship. I am, I'm trying really hard to think about this because I don't, frankly, the people in my life that I'm intimate with that I know enough about their spending habits are often gay. So I like, there's <laughs> naturally egalitarian there. Um, and also like my parents are like between my dad and my stepmom, they're both spenders and savers. Like they they get irritated at having to spend money on certain things, but they'll both go out for a fancy dinner. In my dad and, or my mom and my stepmom's relationship, my mom is a spender in a big way, but my stepdad is like, I would say a bigger spender. Um, but he is and this. Yeah. And I'll get to a concept in a second that I'm interested to talk to you about. And me and Mark's relationship, I'm the spender, but I've always been a spender because when I want something, I, that goes, I'm impulsive. I'm an impulsive person. And I also tend to find the things that I enjoy doing tend to cost money. I love going out to eat. I love going out for drinks. I love 
doing crafts and oftentimes craft projects cost money. I don't like to, it's not even that I like to shop, but I like to buy my books. Um, I've gotten so much better going to the library, but like that has been, uh, Dave Ramsey doesn't make a judgment about, I don't think about a stereotype, but he does say that like, I think part of what he's saying, and it sounds like you and Caitlin have a really healthy relationship with it. I think part of what he's saying is that you cannot make you can't say that the way that somebody else spends their money is wrong and that like if Caitlin spends in a certain way and saves in a certain way that's just how Caitlin spends and saves and like you guys can't put judgment on that if I want to buy my books why is that any less okay than if Mark wants to go out for drinks with his friends every Thursday night right you know absolutely and that's I think that's the most difficult thing about relationships in terms of finances is that it's always calling into question your priorities. And so I think when people are arguing about money, they're really arguing about priorities. That's what I was saying in the beginning of this, that it's about more than budget. It's about money. That when Mm -hmm. we're arguing about money, we're arguing about priorities, and then ultimately we're arguing about values, right? And so when you can talk to somebody in terms of, I, one of the big things that Mark gets on me about is the fact that I like to order an appetizer and dessert Yeah. when I go out to eat. I like a drink with each course. I mean, this is like a like each course, like we're going out for fancy things. But I yeah. like to have a drink. I like to get, frankly, I like to get a spinach and artichoke dip, and I like to have, you know, a beer, and, yeah. with, and then I have dinner, and then sometimes if I'm in the mood, dessert. And I have, Mark thinks that that is such an incredible waste of money, because also, I don't even eat everything, everything on my plate. But in my mind, if I really stop and inquire about it, if we're getting into a fight about it, and not, if we're doing that thing, like that, that second phase of relationship fighting, when we're not trusting each other, um, we're gonna say, Katie is frivolous, Katie is, she is impulsive, um, and Mark is a spendthrift who wants to ruin my good time. Spendthrift is, it doesn't mean what it says. Mark is chintzy, Um, chintzy and wants to ruin my good time. But if we're being generous, Mark is trying to keep focused on the budget, and I, to me, it's about experience. And if we're out, I want to enjoy, like, it's about experience and, like, lingering, and, like, this comes from my dad and my stepmom. Like, they want to go out and have a four-hour dinner where they taste everything on the menu and have conversation, and they don't want you to take their plate away until they're completely finished, and, like, that, and to me, that's luxury. Like, that is living. I love it. That's an experience. Experience. I, I agree. And, and when Mark I, can understand that, he's it, not as mean. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, and as a person who doesn't, like, in general, tends to, like, not go out to dinner, I, when we do, I feel like we need to do it more. You know? Like, I, I just so appreciate the, the times that we do. And I can't tell you the last time that we, we we've gone out with friends lately, but... The last time we, whenever we go to dinner, just us, I'm like, oh my God, this is luxurious. You know, like I'm yeah. not worried about getting the groceries and, and cooking and cleaning and all that stuff. So there's, it, making your money work for you is so important. Okay, I have yeah. a couple more fun facts to share. Okay, and then I have one more point. Okay. And then, so you do fun Wait. facts and then I'll make my point. Okay, okay. So, um... Benjamin Seaman, who is a couples therapist and co-founder of the New York Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy. Oh, yes, I know. How, I know okay. them. Okay. So he talks about how, um, okay, so re- the financial conversations lead, lead to cycle two of shame and spending. So that happens in a cycle. Yep. So you spend and then you feel ashamed of it. Uh, and then, then you spend, so then to 
get that away. You spend some more. And then that just. Well, for me, I'm going to add another S word in there, which is secrecy. Mm-hmm. If I feel shame, I'm going to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Suze Orman, mm-hmm. who is, I think, like Dave Ramsey's more liberal lesbian counterpart. Um, yeah. She's a financial, or, or the way that she describes herself, the financial expert and author of the money class. Um, she says that fear, shame, and anger are three are the three internal obstacles to conversations about finances. So um, you are uh, feeling f- afraid of someone finding out, of your partner finding out about your spending habit- habits because you're ashamed of them. And then to circumvent that, you might have like those anger feelings peppered in there and get angry at your partner for asking or however. Those are the internal obstacles yeah. that we have to overcome in our financial conversations. Right. Well, and I think that part of that, I'm more willing to overcome defensiveness when Mark is more willing to put down the sword of you are irresponsible and a child, you know? Right. So when, okay, so that ties into the last part of this article. It actually comes from Gretchen Rubin, who is a favorite of Katie's and mine. Um, She talks about the four tendencies that's in her most recent book which i still am not sure i don't know i have to like do some more research into this i'm whole thing. jury is very out for me yep i am not there's i'm not any tendency so yeah so, <laughs> although well, she would say that that is what a rebel would say yes so. exactly exactly so um for the listener the four tendencies are rebel obliger questioner and upholder so what Gretchen says is no matter what you are, how you identify as your, whatever your tendency is and however your, ident- your partner identifies, the same things need to be true in um, a healthy financial relationship. Um, and the first is recurring conversations about budgeting. And then she says that uh, being mindful to shape those experiences to make them as pleasant as possible. So it talks about uh, having her financial date nights with like a special coffee drink or a time outside on a nice day is like a good way to do it. For Suze Orman, she talks about it and says she has her financial check-ins with her wife on a relaxing Saturday night over a glass of wine. And the person that wrote the article has like a little funny um, uh, G-Cal that pops up or like an I-Cal invite. And it's like talking about them dollar-dollar bills or whatever whatever the thing is. Yeah. Having those moments of levity in there is really important because I think think the conversation needs to happen low stakes. And it needs to happen all the time. And I think, like, I'm thinking in my head right now, I really want to sit down and talk with Caitlin about our finances moving forward because we we had a talk. I actually remember it was, like, uh, might have been Halloween, October 31st or November 1st. And I was like, oh, this is a great time to have this conversation because we can then um, figure out how we're going to spend moving forward and we'll be able to watch it over the month cycle. Um, and I don't think this month, month has been the best example, but mm-hmm. um, but I think it's a good starting point. Yeah, yeah. I something for Mark and I that has really helped is that when we have to have big conversations, just acknowledging like we're about to do something hard together. Let's remember that we're in this as a team and like hold each other through it. You know, like that's yes. been and like it is. It's. It's like we're both going into battle together when we have to talk about it. And, like, for, yes. it's almost, like, the opposite of what you said, that, like, instead of making it low stakes, it's always high stakes for me. Because money ah. is really emotional for me. Yeah. But noticing, like, 
hey, this is high stakes and it's okay because we're here together. Like we're in the in the boat together. And then afterwards, making sure that like we always are like hugging on each other and like telling each other that we're like doing the best we can. And that that's been when I think about the healthiest discussions that we've had about money. It's been when Marcus sat down and talked to me. And, like, I'm saying, even when I'm saying it, like, I normally get talked to. But when Mark and I sit down and talk together about our goals and how we're doing. And I will say, the times that I do the best with money, I have almost never... This is going to sound like such a cop-out thing to say. But I've almost never made any really big successes with adjusting my spending habits. Any more than I've made big successes with adjusting my eating habits. They are slow and gradual over time based on circumstances and priorities. And the thing that changes it the most, for my money at least, is when I'm earning more money. Yeah. And, and I, if I, I've never adjusted my spending habits, but I'm able to spend, I'm able to save more when I'm earning more money because my spending habits don't change. I'm just making more money. Um, and so that has been the only thing that like knowing that, knowing that I trust my spend habits and that I trust that they stay within a certain limit, the same way that now when I diet or count, like I, if I'm, I, I don't count my calories, I can't be on a diet that's not healthy for me, but if I practice intuitive eating... I trust myself to stay within that. Um, I don't know. But if I were to, if I were, if I had to go on a medically, like, you know, restricted diet for, like, something, I wouldn't be able to trust that anymore. Any more than if my, if my income decreased, I would be able to trust myself. So I, it's definitely room for growth for me. And Mark is much better at, um... Mark is much better at, like, setting a goal and taking the emotions out of it and not thinking of it as an emotional experience when he can't buy something that he needs to buy. So that's, I don't know, that's that's an area of growth for me, is taking the emotions out of the money. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, it is. I also think it's important to note that there are are many ways to have healthy, there's more than one way to have a good marriage. And there's more than one way to have healthy conversations about money. And I think the, the bottom line is you have to know your partner and you have to know what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I think, I don't know, I think I would feel very, we had this conversation, whatever it was, at the beginning of the month, and I, I really remember feeling, like, initially, like, bristled by it, but then, like, I was thinking about it, and I was like, she's saying things that I agree with, and then she was, like, talking with me throughout the day, saying things along the lines of, I want you to know that we're doing this as a team, this is not your spending, it's our spending, and, like, it was just, it was a very... I, Caitlin knew as a my partner how to support me in those those ways that I it, the ways that I the reassurance that I needed to be open about okay how can and then and then I think I'm I'm um, good at setting goals and I'm mm-hmm. good at understanding like what things cost and how we need to budget um, so just feeling like we're gonna she that I, that she trusts my. Um, my yeah. leadership in some ways and I trust her leadership in others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, I think that that's a really good spot to like end this discussion that like, it's mm-hmm. about, it's a, it comes back to what you were talking about with arguing that like, it's about trusting and knowing how to respond to the other person and knowing the yes. context and meeting them where they're at. And like, again, and we've talked about this before, making the positive assumption in your partner, both that, for me at least, Mark is not trying to ruin my good time and that I am not being frivolous with 
our money that we're we're both just trying to do our best and that we yeah. want the best for ourselves and for each other and that yeah. Mark is my number one cheerleader and he's not out just for himself yes so remembering yeah. those things I think Let, if we could just have like a theme to all couples conversations it would be that <laughs> yeah yeah um do you want to like make some recommendations for this week or oh, yeah what I are know, you recommending one, and it is a really excellent um there's a restaurant in my area okay so my favorite food is breakfast burritos I know that's about you. They, this restaurant, Katie, when you come visit me, they put pot roast in their breakfast burritos. It is so good. I love pot roast. So genuinely good. Yeah. It is. And then they have this hot sauce trio they serve with it. And one of them is not. I asked, because I'd had it previously. And then I asked the waitress, like, oh, could you bring me that curry hot sauce? And they were like, what? And she just brought me literally every hot sauce they have. And I was like, oh, I guess it doesn't actually say curry. I think it's just associated with curry in my brain. Who knows? It is the most delectable, com- like, combination of pot roast and then, like, normal potato, egg, pepper, breakfast burrito combination type foods. Oh. It's so good. Oh, my anyway, gosh. That's my re- that's, I feel like it made me happier and a better partner <laughs> so that is my recommendation yeah when we're well fed we're happy <laughs> yeah put some pot roast in your breakfast burritos i sure. love that also what a great yeah. way to utilize your leftovers oh so true um my recommendation this week is i i kind of waffled between a couple things but i just have to say like what's been on my mind so much recently um it is a short musical called 21 Chump Street, and it's five songs. It's available on Spotify, and I'm sure iTunes, but I don't use iTunes. It's actually, it's written and performed in part by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It is a, um, it was actually originally produced and like, I guess, the whole idea came from This American Life, the podcast. Yes, or the radio I remember show. that episode. Yeah, and it is about, um, the musical is about a, like, high school where there is an undercover police officer that goes into the high school to kind of, like, suss out who's selling drugs, um, and a boy that gets kind of caught up in it, and it is so good, and they, This American Life did a, like, a re-airing of it recently, and it's been stuck in my head ever since, and then... Because technology spies on you, it just, like, popped up into my Spotify. And so it's so good. I can't stop listening to it. The music is stuck in my head on a constant basis. I played it for Mark, and he, like... And Mark loves um, loves Lin-Manuel Miranda and also musicals. And, like, I... He was really resistant to listening to it, but then we drove down to, we did, like, a little hour-long road trip together one day, and I, like, forced him to listen to it, and now sometimes I hear him humming it under his breath. I swear it's been in my head all day long, so I recommend everybody... And especially if okay. you love Hamilton, you've got to listen to 21 Chump Street. And you have to listen to the episode of This American Life that it comes from, because it's very excellent. Oh, yeah. Well, and if you do, like, the episode... So if you listen to 21 Chump Street, all of the... Like, almost every single significant line from the characters in it are taken from the the original interview with real... It's based on a real story with real people. So all of the lines in the musical are taken directly out of the interview with the people. Um, and to me, that just, like, makes it... It's just, it's so, and it's, like, got Lin-Manuel Miranda's fingerprints all over it. It's so good. Oh, so I love it. I love yeah, it. I will refrain from busting out into song, but trust me, as soon as we get off, as soon as we get off the phone, I'm going to be listening <laughs> to that, so. That's amazing. Okie doke. Okay. Well, I love you, and I hope you have a uh, good rest of your week. 
I love you too. And if that's if you remember you if you like what we have to say, subscribe oh, that's for right. <laughs> conversations about the world of marriage. Uh, children, Where can you find us? House baggage, baggage, more baggage, all the baggage. Don't we have a thing about that? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of baggage. We talk about baggage. If you like Many this, yep. if you're married, um, or if you know people that are married, or if you yeah. like. Just hanging out with people. Yeah, that's what we say. Yeah. We say that. Um, um, you and you can find f- us on Twitter or Instagram at, at HowDoISpouse. Mm-hmm. And if you you can send us an email, um, especially if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes. Um, you can email us at HowDoISpouse at gmail.com. Yeah, we would also, as always, like we would love to hear about how you and your partner deal with money. That's yes. uh, oh, yeah. fascinating. I don't, this probably won't be our only episode because, you know, money changes. And as we already said, money says everything about you. It's like there's there's this book about food called Women, Food, and God and about how your relationship to food talks about your relationship to God. And I feel like money is the same way. <laughs> like your relationship to money is like your relationship to everything. You know, so, I think you can find God. Yeah, yeah, right. If I can, right. That's... No, do you know where I think you can find God? Oh, Where? in pot roast and a breakfast burrito. Ah, and on that note, see you next week, Lauren. (laughs) See you next week. Bye. Bye.